Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. How enchanting it is to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we have a very interesting item. Follow me to this area of the shop. It's an area that we don't often encourage our patrons to visit because the temptation to touch, dare I say, use the merchandise could lead to catastrophes beyond the ken of mortal men. If you follow me to this side room, this is the time travel display at Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop with devices and implements of time travel used throughout history, and sometimes history yet to be written. Some items quite small, some items quite large and quite unusual. You'll take a look over here, this 1960s-style police box from London, a humble telephone booth from the 1980s. We have everything from boxes, devices, and vehicles to smaller modes of time travel transportation like this Omni over here. We even have a hot tub that may take one to another time. But what we have not found in this curiosity shop is a device that takes us where we are going today. For anyone who has recounted the tales of peril of time travel, they know that the single slightest change in one timeline can branch off into an infinite number of alternate timelines and alternate universes. And finding one's way to this multiverse and navigating it takes a power beyond those created by mortal men. But there is one such being who has that power, and their tales tell of an infinite number of universes, and the variations between them all make for fantastic fare. So let's pull out the mutoscope and take a look at season two of What If... So season two of What If hit Disney Plus back on December 22nd. And instead of releasing episodes all at once or releasing them two at a time like some do, uh, they actually released a new episode every day through the next nine days. So we got the first one on the 22nd of December and we got a new episode each day through December 30th through almost the end of the year. And I finally got a chance to get caught up on What If and I have to say, the first season of What If I was more than pleased with. I just really enjoyed the artistic style of the animation. I enjoyed the stories that they were able to tell and the different things, the different things that we've seen in the comic books, like these Marvel zombies and things like that, getting to see a representation of that on the screen. And, and from what I understand, they are still doing a Marvel zombies TV series, an animated TV series, but the TV series all the same. So I, I'm interested when that's going to come out. And I think one of the coolest things about season one of Marvel's What If was the introduction of Captain Carter. I think she becomes 
become a huge fan favorite. Uh, Haley Atwell doing the Peggy Carter voice for the series, I think, helps. And it's just a really cool alternate take on Captain America. If Peggy Carter got the super uh, soldier serum and instead of Steve Rogers, I think it's an interesting and it really plays into the heart of the what if series of comics and the the animated series that we're seeing now and i think it was one of the most interesting things they went to the well uh, a lot more with peggy carter in season two of what if it it almost feels like it's becoming the uh, peggy carter animated series the peggy carter captain carter animated series but uh, we'll get into that but Ultimately, I really enjoyed season two of What If. It had a lot of really cool stories and it had a lot of really interesting takes and and different styles of story while still staying true to the animation style. Uh, They introduced another new hero that uh, I'm interested to find out more about this this character and see where they're going to go with this. You had a lot of different styles of story. You had almost like a hard-boiled detective noir type story. You had an action hero-y type story. You had an old-timey Renaissance style story story and and they did a lot of really interesting fun things with this season and as always it's fun to see all of the the big name actors who play these characters in the live action marvel movies seeing them come back to do the voices for a lot of these characters is always really fun and always a nice surprise to see who has come back to voice their character in these animated uh, episodes. But I have to say, before we get into any spoiler territory, uh, this is a series that, for all of Marvel's faults, and for all of Disney's faults uh, with the Marvel IP, uh, this is one of the things I think they're doing really right. I have been really happy with the animation. I love the multiverse angle. It's feels like one of the few projects where they're really getting the multiverse right where it's not just alluded to they really dig into stories across the multiverse and I I really enjoy that aspect of this and I I really enjoyed each episode I don't think there is a bad episode in the bunch there's nine episodes this season just like last season and i really enjoyed everyone i thought the direction was really good stephen frank uh directed the first episode Uh, nebula joins the nova Corps. brian andrews directed all the other episodes and then you had matthew chauncey and ac bradley writing either individually or together writing the bulk of the episodes except for what if Kahora reshaped the world written by Ryan Little and he did a really good job I mean he is a uh, he's been working with Marvel for quite some time I mean he's worked on several I mean he's been assistants executive producer assistants production assistants on a lot of stuff like the Inhumans the Iron Fist show Agent Carter Daredevil he's even he's even been a production assistant on Hell's Kitchen he was a script coordinator for What If in the first season Uh, he was script coordinator on The Runaways uh, a show that I I, I quite enjoyed for all its faults Uh, but this episode uh, the first episode he's written 
as far as I understand. Now, he also helped write another episode, What If the Avengers Assembled in 1602. He also wrote that with A.C. Bradley. Uh, so I don't know which came first, but this is his first uh, solely written episode. And I thought he did a fantastic job with it. It was a really interesting story. What if Kahora reshaped the world? Uh, they really worked with uh, a lot of uh, Native Americans. Uh, this character is uh, from the Mohawk people, and they really wanted to do it right. Uh, we'll, we'll get a little more into that when we talk about the episode, but but he did a really good job writing that, uh, along with the other two primary writers for this series. Uh, the series is just really well done, and it has such a, a great respect for the characters. I mean, uh, again, I'll talk about it a little later, but things like Thor. Thor wasn't a bumbling buffoon in this. He had some moments of, of levity. He had some jokes and some funny things, but we got to see Thor being a badass and, and being, you know, the god of thunder in this. And we haven't seen that in a while. I mean, Thor love and thunder. I, I love Taika Waititi, and I think he's got a great sense of humor, but I think his sense of humor just overpowered that movie and made Thor into this kind of doofy walking punchline. And that's not that character in the Marvel comics. And so I, I love the reverence. I love the respect for the source material and the characters. I, I loved so much about this series and this season. And I want to talk about it. So uh, without further ado, if you haven't watched season two of What If on Disney+, Plus, go check it out. Then come back and hear my thoughts on it. But if you have or you don't care one way or the other, uh, I need to get into some spoiler territory so I can really... Uh, dig into these episodes and what I really liked about all of them. And if I didn't like anything, I mean, there were some that were better than others, but uh, we're going to get into the meat and potatoes of it. So from here on out, there is going to be spoilers. So the first episode, what if Nebula joined the Nova Corps? It was a fun first episode to start off with because it was kind of that uh, hard-boiled detective uh, noir type story. It, it felt like one of those old timey detective cop dramas uh, from back in the day where you have, you know, the voiceovers of Nebula talking about this crime that she's trying to solve and the bigger issue that is at hand, the bigger menace that is at hand. And, and I really loved it because Nebula, I think, is one of those characters that has been a little underutilized. But I think they're starting to use her more, especially at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I felt like, oh, Nebula is finally starting to come into her own. Uh, they do use her a little more for jokes than I wish because she is a badass character. But I, I really like seeing her used in more uh, ways that, that focus on the, the actress, Karen Gillan, and the character, Nebula. And of course, this also had a lot of other great actors. Jude Law, Michael Rooker. You had Seth Green as Howard the Duck. That was a fun addition to this episode. Added some levity to that kind of hard-boiled detective serious nature of it. Also, Taika Waititi as Korg. Uh, it was a really good episode, I think, to start this off with. Now, the second episode, What If Peter Quill Attacked Earth's Mightiest Heroes? I thought that was really cool. You know, the whole idea of what if Yondu didn't take Peter Quill into the Ravagers and raise him as his own and did end up giving him to Ego. And if Ego had his way and the manipulation there and using... 
Peter Quill almost as a weapon. Uh, it, it was really interesting. I like the idea of the 1980s. This is set in the 80s, so if the Avengers had formed in the 80s, uh, who would be in it? Captain Carter, Bill Foster's Goliath, King T'Chaka instead of King T'Challa. T'Challa's father being the Black Panther and being a part of the Avengers. Uh, Bucky Barnes as the you know Winter Soldier was cool. Wendy Lawson, another variation on Captain Marvel, although she wasn't Marvel in this. Uh, I thought that was kind of cool. Hank Pym as as Ant-Man instead of Scott Lang. I, I really like that. Uh, Hope Van Dyne a part of it. it. It just was a really cool episode because I think these first two episodes are really emblematic of what makes the What If series and the What If comics so interesting is you know, you take a story that you're familiar with and then you turn it on its head by saying, what if this happened in an alternate timeline? And there are things you recognize, but they're so different from what you're used to. And I really enjoyed this. And it was such a touching episode in some regards and a powerful episode in some regards. The Peter Quill character is a little kid and just the, the manipulation of the ego. I just, I, I really enjoyed it. And it, it had a bit of sentiment at the end that that I really joy, enjoyed kind of made you all warm and fuzzy inside but it was cool to see Michael Douglas and Kurt Russell uh, a part of the voice cast uh, Lawrence Fishburne as the Bill Foster Goliath character it was cool to see him uh, kind of making ways into the MCU uh, will we see his Goliath character in a live action movie anytime soon I think that'd be pretty badass if we did. I don't I don't recall him being in any of the other movies, but uh, maybe as a background character, who knows? But uh, I really liked episode two. Episode three, what if Happy Hogan saved Christmas, was probably one of the best episodes of this season because it riffed off of Die Hard and kind of made Happy Hogan the John McClane character. And there were just so many callbacks to, to Die Hard. So many scenes with uh, Happy Hogan, voiced by John Favreau. Uh, you know, the scene where he's jumping out of the building and he's, instead of holding on to the fire hose, he's holding on to like a, a ream of fabric in Tony Stark's suit-making facility and he falls out. And the scene with the Justin Hammer character, voiced by Sam Rockwell, when he's falling off the building and doing that like slow-mo Hans Gruber I just, there were so many fun, uh, Happy Hogan going through the air ducts. It's a lot of fun homage to Die Hard without completely ripping off the Die Hard story, which I, I appreciated that. It was its own story, but there were just so many nods to Die Hard. And then that one scene where the Justin Hammer character is given the spiel about what he wanted for Christmas as a kid, a Red Ryder BB gun, and he got his tongue stuck to a light pole, and somebody's like, isn't that a Christmas story? And he's like, no, never, never mind. He said, but I never got the Red Ryder BB gun. You want to know why? And then somebody in the crowd yells, you'll shoot your eye out? Oh my God, I just about lost it in that scene. And, and to me, one of the funnest one of the most interesting it's a it's a great christmas story that you know i could see myself going back you know every couple years at christmas time and and adding this to my lineup of 
of things I watch at Christmas because it was just such a, a fun episode. Now, episode number four, what if Iron Man crashed into the Grand Master? It was an interesting episode. Not one of my favorite episodes of the season. It was good. It started out making it sound like it was going to be a Gamora episode, but it was just all about Tony Stark. Uh, I mean, and Iron Man is in the title of the episode, so you have to imagine, you know, that's who's going to be the main character. But they they even start the episode out making you think it's going to be a Gamora story. But it kind of had like a fun race. It almost was like Death Race 2000 meets Mad Max. Jeff Goldblum does the the Grandmaster voice in this, and he he's always fun. So it was a fun episode. Again, not my favorite episode, but that's just because I'm not a big race car guy, I guess. So that's probably why I didn't enjoy it as much. But it was still an enjoyable episode and still a fun episode. Uh, episode five: What if Captain Carter fought the Hydra Stomper? Of course, in season one, the first episode was about Captain Carter. And you had Steve Rogers in the Hydra Stomper suit built by Tony Stark's father during World War II. And of course, that character just kind of got left behind in that episode. Well, we find out that Hydra has kind of red-roomed Steve Rogers and he's in the Hydra Stomper causing all sorts of havoc in the future. And this is a good story. It was the second story in this season that we got with Captain Carter, the Peggy Carter character. And while I enjoyed the love story between her and Steve Rogers, this kind of star-crossed love story, this was an interesting episode, but it was like, okay, another Peggy Carter story. And we got like several more of those. I mean, there are like two other episodes in this nine-episode season that feature Peggy Carter as Captain Carter. It almost felt like uh, this is becoming the Captain Carter animated series and not What If, because I want to see different characters and I don't want to see Peggy Carter all the time. I enjoy the Captain Carter character. I think it was a great invention of this series. I don't think Captain Carter was a thing in the comics, if I'm not mistaken. And I very well could be. I thought it was cool to see her show up in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness on that alternate version of Earth. I, I like the character. I think I want to see more of the character in the movies. But in this, I, I don't want to see her. And it's not even different variations of Captain Carter. It is the same iteration of Captain Carter, just over and over again showing up in all these different timelines and all these different stories. I'm like, oh, that's just, it, it kind of goes against the heart of this story, I think, or this, this series. But all in all, episode five, uh, a good episode. I really enjoyed it. A lot of action. Episode six, one of the most talked about episodes of the season, what if Kahori reshaped the world and Kahori is a Mohawk woman. This is pre-colonial uh, America. You start to see some of the uh, conquistadors coming in looking for the fountain of youth. The whole idea is that the Tesseract came crashing to earth and broke apart into this lake and is giving people who go into this lake these special powers. That's the, the simple... Simple explanation of it. The episode is a little more complicated than that. But through this, you get this new superhero Kahori created. And I like that. I, I think it's important to keep creating new characters. And you can do that, especially with this What If series. You can create new characters in other timelines. And, and even you know with the multiverse stuff, you can bring them to, to the main 
MCU timeline. I think it's important to do that because you have a lot of opportunity to create characters of color. You get a lot of opportunity to create representation without gender swapping and race swapping already beloved characters. Uh, that's not to say that it doesn't work sometimes. I mean, if it wasn't for race swapping, we wouldn't have Samuel L. Jackson playing a, a fantastic version of Nick Fury. My favorite version of Nick Fury. Yes, even better than David Hasselhoff. I know it's hard to believe. But I don't think that race swapping or gender swapping should be your go-to for adding you know, strong female characters or strong characters of color to the MCU, especially when you have such a rich history of some really cool uh, female characters and characters of color already in the comic books or variations on characters that they've done in the comic books already. Uh, when you have that and you have the opportunity to create cool characters like this Kahori character in What If, uh, when you have that at your disposal, I, I think that just makes for, for great opportunity for the future. And I really like this character, Kahori. I think she's got a great look. I, I love the powers. I just hope they don't make her overpowered because I think that's a problem you have in like comics these days because they're so willing to to show representation and to show strong female characters and things like that they sometimes have a tendency to overpower some of these strong in in this case female characters uh, Captain Marvel is very overpowered in the MCU Amelia Clark character from Secret Invasion which that show did so horribly I don't know if we'll ever see this character again but they left her in that just ridiculously overpowered and superheroes that just can't be beat are boring that's why i was never a fan of superman growing up because he was just indestructible at least he had kryptonite but you're having a lot of characters put forth today where they don't even have kryptonite they're just overpowered and the only way to defeat them is just for them to not be in the movie and i that i, I don't like that i like heroes that have weaknesses that can be exploited by bad guys. And that creates a sense of danger. That creates a sense of urgency. That creates a sense of tension. That, uh, you know, when you make some of these characters so strong and too strong, that doesn't become a factor in your story and ultimately makes a story quite boring. So anyway, I didn't mean to get off on that soapbox, but I, I love the fact that they're using this show to to maybe introduce some new characters and to create some new characters. And I really like this story uh, with Kahori. Uh, I liked the fact that they brought her back in a, a later episode. I like the idea of this Native American woman from the pre-colonial America. She has really cool powers. And, and I just, I, I enjoyed every bit of it. And the episode was done so well because you had this episode done completely in the Mohawk language and Spanish language when the conquistadors came in and it was all done in subtitles. I think the only time it really uh, went to English was at the end when Doctor Strange uh, Supreme showed up. And I know they went through great pains to involve uh, a lot of Native Americans in the production of this, uh, trying to get the language right, trying to get the music right, trying to get the look and the, the culture right. It was done so well that I, I can understand why people are clamoring over this episode because it was probably one of the more interesting and better episodes 
of the season and the fact that it introduces this new female character is just i think icing on the cake but i'm really excited to see where this character goes in the future and if when and how they will introduce this character possibly to the main mcu and possibly into live action. Now, episode number seven, what if Hela found the Ten Rings? And it wasn't so much that she found the Ten Rings. I mean, she found them, but somebody else was wearing them. Uh, it, it, this, again, was probably one of my lesser favorite episodes. It's not that I didn't like it. It's not that I didn't have a good time watching it or enjoy watching it. But it really did something that Marvel is having a tendency to do. One, Marvel tries to humanize their villains way too much. Instead of just letting your bad guy be your bad guy, and he's a bad guy because he's an asshole, uh, he's got to have some tortured childhood now that made him the way he is. Somebody picked on him, so uh, he became a bad guy, but you know he could have been a good guy. Well, yeah, anybody could be a good guy or a bad guy at any moment. Uh, you know, you don't see films where it's showing your hero, uh, your main superhero, at what he could have done if he turned into a bad guy. It's always humanize the bad, and that way nobody's ever really a bad guy. They're just misunderstood. And in some cases, that is how it is. But in some cases, people are just fucking horrible people. And Hela, I'm not saying the Hela character is whatever, but this is something that they did with this Hela character is trying to give her a redemption story and make her into a good guy kind of the way they did with loki uh loki's a different story but it is very similar now loki's a beloved character and a good guy and he saved the multiverse you see this with hella because in one of the later episodes actually the next episode uh, we see her in what i'm assuming is an alternate timeline as as a good guy and sitting side beside with thor uh, it just you know there again uh, no bad guys can be a bad guy if we think we can turn him into a strong character, uh, especially a strong female character, and make money off of her. And that seems to be the only thing Disney really cares about is who can we make money off of. But it was an interesting story. What if the backstory was interesting in this with Odin banishing Hela to, to Earth and stripping her of her powers and her meeting uh, the medieval version of Shang-Chi Shu Wenu, I'm probably butchering that name. The ending was really interesting and kind of paid off the redemption arc for Hela. I, I like the idea of her coming to the rescue of Gamora's people as Thanos is attacking them, and and her being the uh, the champion of the of the nine realms and beyond with Wenwu. So it was a good episode, uh, just not the most exciting episode. And there again, I I just kind of felt like, oh okay. We're going to make her a good guy now. And it probably shouldn't bother me as much as it did because, you know, this that's what the essence of this story and these stories are, are alternate timelines. And I should probably just lighten up about the whole thing. Now, episode eight was a really interesting episode, and I think a lot of people found this as a fan favorite. Uh, what if the Avengers assembled in 1602? Uh, it was quite funny, you know, seeing this group of... Avengers, the uh, Renaissance period 
versions of them, Wanda as Merlin, <laughs> Sir Nicholas Fury, Prince Loki, stuff like that, uh, Sir Harold Hogan, <laughs> Happy Hogan. I uh, it was it was a fun episode. It was interesting to see like these, like I said, medieval versions of these heroes. Although I found it quite interesting that Scott Lang still had a very technologically advanced version of the ant mask helmet and how he got that in medieval times. I know in this, they have a lot more technological advances than would be at that time, but even that seemed a bit more technologically advanced than some of the other advancements that they were showing within this episode. But it's a cartoon, so suspension of disbelief is always has to be top of mind when you're watching any of these. But uh, it, it was a fun episode. It again played into Captain Carter and became a very Captain Carter uh, Steve Rogers centric episode playing into their star-crossed love yet again and and even though I mean the the story itself and the way that it ended it hit I mean it worked from an emotional standpoint but like how many times do I have to see this on this series before it starts to get old. But it did introduce something into the mythos of the MCU about somebody who doesn't belong in the proper timeline, causing what I'm assuming would be uh, essentially an injunction. Is that what they called? Or conjunction? It was something that sounded like it was from Dark Crystal. But, but at any rate, uh, the two universes essentially colliding and destroying one or both. And and I thought that was interesting. I guess we're going to probably see more of that. I think this was just kind of a precursor. We've heard about it in some of the other things, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, I think we're seeing it in this, a version of it. And I think we'll probably start seeing some more of that when we get to... Uh, some of the other movies coming out in this phase and into the next phase of Marvel. But I, I really enjoyed this. This was a fun episode. Again, uh, the medieval Avengers was just uh, delightful. And a lot of the dialogue that felt very, very medieval coming out of these characters when when Hulk's rampaging and saying Hulk smash the, uh, you can't help but find that hilarious. Now, episode nine, the final episode of this second season, will kind of play off the end of the episode nine in season one. That was called What If the Watcher Broke His Oath? And this was What If Strange Supreme Intervened? Not the same, but kind of the same sentiment. And, and this was an interesting episode because it played off of the... Uh, end of the what if Kahori reshaped the world where Doctor Strange came and said he was looking for her. Uh, we see him working with Peggy Carter and the realization that he is not uh, collecting all of these timeline ending, universe ending creatures. He's collecting all of them. He's collecting pure hearted heroes to bring back his world. Of course, we saw uh, Strange Supreme and what what happened to his character in season one with what if Doctor Strange lost his heart instead of his hands and the way he was left there. This is a continuation of that story. Again, another Peggy Carter 
Captain Carter-centric story. But you got to see her and this new character, Kahori, uh, two strong female characters that they've essentially created through this series, uh, coming together to fight Strange Supreme. And again, a very cool story that delves into the past of both Doctor Strange and Peggy Carter and their relationships. Doctor Strange with uh, Christine Palmer, uh, Peggy Carter's relationship with Steve Rogers and the star-crossed nature of both of their love lives and and how it plays into a bit of Strange Supremes, uh, a bit of a redemption for him at the end. It was a really good episode. I, again, another Peggy Carter episode. So I want to like it more than I did. I mean, I appreciate that they did what they did in the first season, where the Watcher essentially assembles a group of characters from all these different other stories and brings them together to to fight this ultimate bad guy in the last episode. They didn't do that. They didn't go to the well again, but it is two characters from the past episodes that come back and and fight another character from a past episode. So uh, it's similar ideas, but done different enough that uh, it, it still stands on its own. But there again, you've created two really likable characters, and then you've spent almost half of this season focusing on just one of those characters. And I, I hope they don't do that next season. I, I don't. It's not that I don't want to see Peggy Carter again. I just don't want to see the same Peggy Carter character in half of the What If episodes. Tell some other stories. Tell some other hero stories. I like the Kahori character. I want to see more of the Kahori character, but I hope that they don't dedicate half of season three to the Kahori character. You have a universe full of various Marvel heroes uh, some well-known heroes, a lot of the Avengers. I mean, we spend a lot of time with the Avengers. There are other Marvel characters other than the Avengers that I would like to see more of, or the Guardians of the Galaxy. I know they focus on a lot of these characters because those are the ones that they have movies of, but I would like to see some characters that we haven't seen. I know X-Men aren't introduced yet, but there are other characters within Marvel, the comics, that, that you could maybe introduce through the what if storylines. I'd like to see them create new characters. It doesn't have to be every season you create a new character because sooner or later you run out of opportunities to tell these characters stories. I mean, you have to focus on what you have to focus on, but in, in this day and age, they just won't do standalone movies. Everything has to be a trilogy or a part of a, you know, a franchise, and I don't want to see them creating characters just to have them sidelined because they can't do a movie about the character or can't put the character in other movies. But all in all, I really enjoyed this season. Uh, I loved, like I said, the writing and direction. I think it was great. All of the actors that came back to voice their characters for this series. I know not all of them could. Uh, the the gentleman who plays uh, Tony Stark in this, the gentleman who plays Steve Rogers, Lake Bell, who does the Black Widow voice. Uh, they had somebody else voicing Gamora. Not every actor has the time or the ability to record when they need these. I understand. Or, or maybe it's a price thing. Maybe they just can't afford some of these actors and actresses. But I enjoy all the voices, whether it is the actors coming back to voice their characters or if it's other voice actors voicing. All the voice actors do a fantastic job. I love the animation. I think the animation is so cool. It's 
like computer generated animation, but they do it 2D. So it looks like a, a classic cartoon style. In some regards, it almost feels like rotoscoping, like the old rotoscoping they used to do in the old Disney movies, uh, Cinderella and Snow White, where they filmed an actor playing the scene out and they use that as a reference point and essentially draw or paint over top of this actor and create the very fluid almost realistic movements it feels like that it's not that but it feels like that they use computer generated models but they put the 2d characters on top they're not overly lined so it has a very painted feeling animation the animation is just stunning on this and very fun to watch and very uh, enjoyable to watch and the one actor i didn't really mention I, I should mention before jeffrey wright as the watcher i just absolutely love him in, in the beginning of the show when he does that little narration monologue at the beginning talking about uh, uh, guiding people through all these possible realms and uh, pondering the question what if it's just adds so much gravity and jeffrey wright is an actor that i can't get enough of i loved him in Westworld, I loved him in the Batman. Anything he shows up in, I always he's just one of, becoming for me one of those actors that when I see him in a cast, he adds a bit of gravitas to it that you know some actors just don't provide, and, and he does that. And and I think that's one of the things I enjoy most about this series is this guide through this world that they've created in the watcher i mean i know it's from the comics but jeffrey wright brings it to life and it just reminds me of a lot of those old anthology comics a lot of the horror comics where the crypt keeper would do a little thing or the vault keeper or the old witch or the crypt keeper or the creep from the the new creep show comics uh, i love having that kind of guide through the world you're about to go into that always does like a little bit of a narrative kind of setting the scene uh, and I love how well Jeffrey Wright brings all of that to life in this series and again one of the the many things that are enjoyable about this series so all in all uh what if season two I think is a a great success like uh, season one you know not every episode for me personally is a home run but i have enjoyed every episode that i've seen and you know, some i like more than others but i can't say that there's a bad one in the bunch every episode is at least pretty good for me and every episode is enjoyable on one level or another and like i said i love the reverence to the classic characters i love how you know thor is not treated like a bumbling idiot Hulk is not Professor Hulk because it allows Mark Ruffalo to do more acting. He's a fantastic actor, a lot of great comedic timing, but I want to see the Hulk be the effing Hulk, and we got to see that. Maybe not the best version of the Hulk that I've seen, but but you still got to see the Hulk being the Hulk. We haven't really seen that in a very long time. And that was fun, getting to see a lot of different variations on stars that we we know and love. Uh, it is always fun getting to see new characters that we're beginning to love utilized. Like I said, in the case of Captain Carter, maybe he utilized a little too much, but it is cool to to see more of her. And Haley Atwell, I think, does a wonderful job as Peggy Carter. So uh, as much as I think they're going to the well one too many times with Captain Carter, especially in the What If series, it's always a pleasure to see Haley Atwell play this character, even if it is just vocally 
in the What If series. But getting to see these new characters emerge and become, whether you want to call them fan favorites or what, I enjoy that aspect of this as well. And just a fun series that did not disappoint in its second season and makes me really excited for season three whenever that may come about and we may not have to wait too much longer for a season three possibly something that could come out next year 2025 possibly something that could be out as late at, or as early as the end of this year because just before the season finale they released kind of a teaser for season three uh, a little short clip of a story with the Winter Soldier and the Red Guard. Of course, uh, Sebastian Stan and David Harbour uh, reprising their voices for that. And we get to see a little clip of that. There's talk about them doing some other stories, maybe some stories that they kind of had in planning uh intended for season two but uh, you know they wanted to keep it at nine stories some spider-man stories uh so you know i think i heard that there might be another peggy carter captain carter story but uh but some other different characters that we could see uh being featured which i'm really excited for that and hopefully it is something where maybe we get uh season three towards the end of this year not necessarily have to wait until 2025 but uh, really excited to see what they have in store with season three of what if so i want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on what if season two you can check it out now on disney plus and uh, hopefully you enjoyed it as much as i did uh, please check out more about what's going on with odds bodkins curiosity shop on our social media pages uh, facebook and instagram always posting about horror fantasy and science fiction always posting about what we have coming up on the the podcast uh bonus episodes and, and regular episodes all that no matter where you listen to this podcast please leave a review five stars would be awesome but whatever review you leave we appreciate that and as always please uh, share this podcast with anyone that you know that loves horror fantasy and science fiction so until next time thank you for visiting odds bodkin's curiosity shop we hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. <laughs>